This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. In today's program, you can hear our feature, Justice and Peace. First, however, our Bulletin of Church News, followed by Africa News Panorama. We shall close today's program with Sports Roundup. I am Festus Tarawali. Pope Francis will travel to the northern Italian city of Venice on the 28th of April to visit the local church community and the 2024 Venice Art Biennial. Devin Watkins reports. The Vatican Dicastery for Culture and Education announced on Tuesday that Pope Francis will visit Venice on April 28th. During his one-day pastoral visit to the northern Italian city, the Pope will make a stop at the 60th International Art Exhibition of La Biennale di Venezia 2024. He is scheduled to take a moment to appreciate the Holy See's Pavilion at the Biennale's exhibit in the Judeca Women's Prison. Entitled With My Eyes, the pavilion is dedicated to the theme of human rights and people living on the margins of society. It seeks to draw the world's attention to those people who are largely ignored while fostering a culture of encounter and is curated by Chiara Parisi and Bruno Racine. The Holy See Pavilion invites the viewer to take Pope Francis's words literally as he invites everyone to look others directly in the eyes, looking beyond their social status to encounter their humanity. The 2024 Art Biennale of Venice bears the title Foreigners Everywhere and will be open from April 20th until November 24th. According to a press release from the Dicastery for Culture and Education and the Patriarchate of Venice, Pope Francis will also spend some time with members of the church community in Venice. He will return to Rome on the same day. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis has written the foreword to a new book by Austin Ivory titled First Belong to God on Retreat with Pope Francis. The book by the UK-based Catholic journalist, author, commentator and biographer of the Pope was published on Tuesday by Messenger Publications and Loyola Press. The book offers insights into the priorities and teachings of Pope Francis while exploring the wisdom of St. Ignatius on which the Pope has drawn throughout his life. The Pope writes in the foreword, The retreat is a time for the Creator to speak directly to his creatures inflaming our souls with his love and praise so that we might better serve God in the future, in the words of St. Ignatius. Love and service, these are the two great themes of the spiritual exercises, writes the Pope. Also in the foreword, the full text of which has been published on our website, he says, Austin Ivory has done a great service in bringing together the retreat talks I gave many decades ago with my teachings as Pope. In this way, he allows both to illuminate and be illuminated by St. Ignatius' spiritual exercises. In another section of the foreword, the Pope speaks of the deterioration of our common home and the mass migration and displacement of people. Both are symptoms of the crisis of non-belonging described in these pages, he says. 
Pope Francis will preside at the Lenten station, a short moment of prayer at the Church of St. Anselm in Rome on Ash Wednesday afternoon, the 14th of February. The celebration will begin at 4.30 p.m. local time in Rome and will be followed by a penitential procession to the nearby Basilica of Santa Sabina. The Pope will later preside at Holy Mass with the rite of blessing and imposition of the ashes inside the Basilica. The events will be streamed live on Vatican Media channels on YouTube, on Facebook and on our website vaticannews.va. Our listeners on shortwave radio in West Africa can follow the live English language commentaries of the Ash Wednesday liturgies from the 13830 kHz frequency beginning at 4.30 p.m. local time in Rome or 3.30 p.m. GMT. In his message for Lent 2024, Pope Francis invites the faithful to pause for prayer and to assist our brothers and sisters in need in order to change our lives and the lives of our communities. Christopher Wells tells us more. When our God reveals himself, his message is always one of freedom, Pope Francis says in the opening of his message to the faithful for Lent 2024. Recalling the exodus of the Hebrew people from Egypt, Pope Francis explains that our journey through the desert can be a season of grace, not an abstract journey, but a concrete path that involves seeing the world as it really is and hearing the cries of our oppressed brothers and sisters. Too often, the Pope says, there remains within us an inexplicable longing for for slavery, a desire to cling to idols that paralyze us, as Israel was paralyzed in the desert. Lent, however, is a season of grace, a time of conversion, where the desert can become a place where our freedom can mature in a personal decision not to fall back into slavery. Pope Francis adds that the Lenten journey itself involves a struggle. It's a time for action, the Pope said, but also a time to pause, to pause in prayer and to pause in the presence of a wounded brother or sister. Love of God and love of neighbor are one love, Pope Francis continues, explaining that the contemplative dimension of Lent can help us release new energies to be more sensitive to one another. In the place of threats and enemies, we can discover companions and fellow travelers. Pope Francis concludes his Lenten message on a hopeful note. To the extent that this Lent becomes a time of conversion, an anxious humanity will notice a burst of creativity, a flash of new hope. Calling on the faithful to be ready to take risks, he invites them to find the courage to see our world not as ending, but rather at the beginning of a great new chapter of history. Faith and charity take hope, this small child, by the hand, the Pope says. They teach her to walk, and at the same time, she leads them forward. I'm Christopher Wells. You're tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. News Panorama. The government of South Africa has announced that it is to deploy 2,900 members of the country's army to the Democratic Republic of Congo to help fight against armed groups operating in the eastern part of the country. The troops will be posted as part of the Southern African Development Community Mission in Congo, which was approved in May last year. Other countries contributing troops are Malawi and Tanzania. The first soldiers of the mission were deployed in December last year. The office of the president in South Africa has issued a statement saying the deployment will cost the country 
105 US million dollars and with the last until December this year. The deployment comes as M23 rebels advance in Congo's North Kivu province and threatening to capture the provincial capital Goma. Reports from Libya say 143 Ghanaian nationals were repatriated to their country at the weekend on planes chartered by the International Organization for Migration. They had been stranded in Libya for more than three years after their attempts to illegally cross to Europe through the Mediterranean Sea failed. The Minister for Family and Gender in the Central African Republic, Malte Kirima, has issued a statement saying children are still being recruited as fighters, spies, messengers, cooks, and even as sex slaves by armed rebel groups that are fighting the government. She estimated that today about 10,000 children are fighting alongside rebel groups, while 15,000 others have escaped from rebel forces. Reports from Liberia say the Minister for Defense, Prince Charles Johnson III, resigned on Monday, 10 days after being appointed, following a protest by wives of soldiers. The women set up roadblocks near the capital Monrovia and elsewhere in the country, accusing the minister of being responsible for low wages paid to their husbands and of poor living conditions in the military barracks. Prince Charles Johnson III is a retired Liberian military officer at the rank of Major General and has served as the Chief of Staff of the Armed Forces since 2018. He resigned from the army this month when the newly elected president, Joseph Boakai, nominated him minister. You are tuned to the English Africa service of Vatican Radio. And now, our feature, Justice and Peace. It is about three weeks today since Pope Francis received an audience, Amy Pope, the Director General of the United Nations International Organization for Migration, the IOM, which since 1951 has been dedicated to promoting humane and orderly migration for the benefit of migrants and host countries. The meeting between Amy and Pope Francis took place in the Vatican on January 26th. Their discussions highlighted their shared commitment to defending the rights of migrants and to ensuring their protection. The meeting was particularly important given the ongoing international challenges related to migration, which are aggravated by conflict, economic inequality, and climate change. The International Organization for Migration and the Holy See both recognize the urgent need to provide assistance, safety, and shelter to helpless migrants and refugees worldwide. Pope Francis has, since the beginning of his pontificate in 2013, spoken out consistently that each of us has a moral obligation to welcome, protect, promote, and integrate migrants and refugees. Through his encyclicals, speeches, and pastoral visits, he has emphasized the importance of compassion, solidarity, and the inherent dignity of every human being, regardless of whether one is an immigrant or not. 
Director General Amy Pope spoke to Vatican Radio about her meeting with Pope Francis. First of all, I just wanted to thank him for his advocacy on behalf of migrants around the world. He's one of the most important voices who continues to remind people that when we talk about migrants, we're talking about people first. We're talking about human potential, human lives, and lives that have value. So I wanted to thank him for the effort that he has put into putting a human face on the situation. But we also spoke quite a lot about how we turn the subject of migration into a much more positive narrative. We're both mindful of the fact that half of the world is voting this year. And unfortunately, in many conversations around elections, migrants are being vilified and blamed for issues and problems within societies. But in reality, what the evidence has demonstrated time and again is that migration actually helps build economies, helps foster innovation, and drive development. So we spoke about how do we collectively help to turn the narrative into something that is much more positive, but also something that is much more reflective of the role that migrants play around the world. And then finally, we spoke about how we could work together to integrate migrants into communities, to create more welcoming communities, and to address some of the challenges that communities face when they see large influxes of migrants. And our role as the International Organization for Migration to address the challenges that communities face, but also to really work with government officials, local officials, and community actors to create the opportunities and the, the promise that migration can bring. As you said, Pope Francis has been a clear voice in calling for safe and legal migration, but also the right to migrate or to stay in one's own country. So how does the work of the International Organization for Migration overlap with his position? And would would you say there are any ways that it diverges? It actually overlaps in quite a few ways. I mean, we ultimately recognize that humans are a mobile species. Human civilization has been built on migration. And we've reached this moment in time where migration is really being demonized, despite the fact that we know migration actually leads to better outcomes for more people around the world. So I think we really share the perspective of when we can create safe and regular pathways for people to migrate, it helps to alleviate irregular migration. It deprives criminal networks of the profit that they're making on the backs of extremely vulnerable people. And it can lead to better outcomes for people, whether they're in developing countries, whether they're in Europe or North America or somewhere in between. So I'd say, by and large, we're very well aligned in terms of what the opportunities are and what the challenges we face collectively. Wars have historically caused great waves of migration. Are there any current trends that you would like to highlight regarding migration or that you perhaps did with the Pope? There is one particular phenomenon that we're very focused on as an organization, and that's the displacement of people as a result of climate. So last year, more people were displaced by climate impact than conflict. And if you put climate on top of communities that are vulnerable because of past or existing conflict, the situation actually becomes significantly worse. So I believe our responsibility is to look at these issues hand in hand. On the one hand, to understand and start to engage with communities who are very vulnerable to climate impact. So we start to build their resilience and so they're not forced to leave. 
On the other hand, it's to look at how do we use migration as a tool to alleviate climate change? So one really clear example, we know right now there are not enough people in the right places with the jobs or the skills needed to transition and meet the climate goals of the Paris Agreement. We need migration in order to meet those goals, but we're not thinking about it that way. So how do we, instead of looking at a community that's vulnerable to displacement and just think about, oh, these poor people and how do we respond with humanitarian assistance? How do we look at that community and think, maybe this is part of the solution to one of the challenges we collectively are facing and invest in the community so that they have the skills, the resources, and the ability to access jobs that will benefit all people. Is there anything you'd like to add? It was a a real pleasure for me to meet the Pope. Of course, I'm Amy Pope, so we joked about the fact that it was the opportunity for the two popes to meet. But also, I think he's just an incredible voice. And we, at this moment in time, where so much of the rhetoric around migration is so negative, having someone like the Holy Father speak out so passionately and eloquently on the subject is incredibly important, not just for our organization, but for millions of people around the world. Amy Pope, the Director General of the United Nations International Organization for Migration, speaking there to Devin Watkins of Vatican News after meeting Pope Francis. And lastly, the Commission of the Catholic Bishops' Conferences of the European Union Commerce has issued a response to a resolution adopted last week by the European Parliament over the massacre of 200 Christians between December 23rd and 25th last year in 160 villages in Nigeria's Plateau State. The killings were carried out by Flani Islamic militants. The European Parliament strongly condemned the violence but attributed it to other causes than religious persecution. In their response, the European Catholic bishops noted that the resolution downplayed the religious dimension of the conflict and reiterated their grave concern over the persecution faced by Christian communities in Nigeria. They called on the European Union institutions to give a more precise response to Islamist terrorism in Nigeria. Lisa Zengarini has the details. In the adopted text, the European Parliament highlighted the role of climate change, competition for scarce resources and the disappearance of effective mediation schemes in the conflict between Christian farmers and Muslim Fulani herders. While welcoming the resolution condemning the Christmas massacre, the Commission of the Bishops' Conference of the European Union objected that the text downplayed the religious dimension of the incident and its terrorist nature, as highlighted by the Nigerian bishops, according to whom the continued havoc caused by armed herdsmen in various parts of the country can no longer be treated as mere clash between pastoralists and farmers, but should be treated as acts of terror terrorism. Environmental and economic pressures, echoed Father Manuel Barrios Prieto, General Secretary of Comese, cannot sufficiently explain the ferocity of the attacks and their coordinated and systematic patterns committed by Fulani Islamist terrorists. Indeed, the 2023 Christmas massacre is not an isolated case, but one of a series perpetrated over the past years by Islamist extremists, including jihadists, who enjoy impunity, as they are rarely prosecuted and condemned. 
According to Father Barrios Prieto, it should no longer be tolerated that all these crimes remain unaccountable and the Nigerian government has a responsibility to protect its citizens, including systematically persecuted Christian communities. Comese therefore urgently called upon the European Union to take strong measures in line with its legislation and employed diplomatic channels to ensure the protection of all citizens in Nigeria. I am Lisa Zengarini. And with that report, we come to the end of this week's edition of Justice and Peace. I am Johnny Baptist Tomosime. And this is a sports roundup and a welcome to the program. My name is Kenyanta Godfrey Kampamba. In one of the Southern African languages, there is a saying that emphasizes the fact that all talk is about the elephant on the day an elephant dies. This saying took a different angle at the AFCON 2023 as the elephant survival coast cheated death throughout the tournament. They survived many assassination attempts, including from snipers from Equatorial Guinea who crashed and gave the West African team a 4-0 embarrassing nightmare. And so today, this program is all about the 2023 AFCON and the new continental champions. With the last whistle blown on Sunday, the elephants of Cote d'Ivoire made the tables turn and convincingly won the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations after defeating the Super Eagles of Nigeria 2-1. Nicknamed the elephants, the team has now won the Africa Cup of Nations three times. Nigeria looked set to repeat their 1-0 victory over the Ivorians at the Imperial Olympic Stadium during the group stage when Captain William Trust Ekong, who had netted a penalty to decide that first meeting, rose to head in the opener late in the first half. But Frank Casey equalized just after the hour mark and Hall attained in Simon Andinga's cross in the 81st minute to spark world celebrations among the Sea of Orange in the Abidjan stands. Ivory Coast's success sees them add this year's title to those claimed in 1992 and 2015, while this win also allows them to join Nigeria on three Cup of Nations triumphs overall. Only Egypt, Cameroon and Ghana have won the title more often with the Super Eagles squandering the opportunity to match their Ghanaian rivals on four victories. Spearheaded by reigning African Player of the Year, Osimene, the Nigerians had looked the most formidable team in the competition over the last month, but Ivory Coast's sense of destiny was simply too overpowering as they became the first host country to win the AFCON since 2006. Didier Drogba captained the Elephants team, that lost on penalties to Egypt in Cairo in the final 18 years ago, while this time he was among the spectators to witness a stunning victory for his country. Everyone is saying that the victory was an incredible achievement for a side that was on the brink of elimination in the group stage. That was their heaviest ever home defeat, and the Ivorians then parted company with coach Jean-Louis Gasset replacing him with Emese Fay, a teammate of Drogba in 2006. The Elephants then began a remarkable tenor round, which saw them oust holders Senegal on penalties, beat Mali with a last gasp goal in extra time, and edge out the Democratic Republic of Congo with a hollow goal in the last four. Supporters of the Elephants packed out the stadium to its 60,000 capacity with many fans, 
having to watch the game from vantage points on stairways. On the other side of the aisle, it was a disappointing loss for Nigeria, which scored first with the header by the captain, William Trust Ekong, but were unable to match their opponents' two goals in the second half. And as Ivory Coast celebrate being champions of the 2023 AFCON, the Super Eagles of Nigeria have been doing a lot of post-mortems. In fact, in his post-match press conference, Super Eagles head coach Jose Peseiro has addressed several factors that he believed contributed to the 2-1 defeat suffered by the Nigerian national team in the final of the 34th edition of the Africa Cup of Nations on Sunday. Following a series of solid performances in the build-up to the final at Stad Alassane Ouattara and Bimpe, Reflecting on what turned out to be a disappointing final, Pesero told reporters in Mbimpe that the Super Eagles, among other things, were nervous. Cote d'Ivoire were the main favourites for this tournament, Pesero said, adding that Ivory Coast have very good players who play with quality in attack and praised the Ivorian that they were fantastic and that they didn't play with pressure and they didn't feel nervous. But on the opposite side... My players, which is my team, felt nervous more than their opponents. Pesero also admitted the fact that the Super Eagles lost two main balls, which was evident in the final tally of 61% to 39% possession in favor of the elephants. Despite the shortfalls highlighted, Pesero insists his players deserve to be praised for how far they came and how they gave their best shot at winning the 2023 AFCON tournament. We now join the athletics world in mourning the death of the men's marathon world record holder, Kenya's Kelvin Kiputum. The 24-year-old was killed alongside his coach, Rwanda's Gervas Hakizimana, in a road traffic accident in Western Kenya on Sunday. Kiptum made a breakthrough in 2023 as a rival to compatriot Eliud Kipchoge, who is one of the greatest marathon runners. The young athlete bettered Kipchoge's record clocking 42 kilometers in 2 hours and 35 seconds in Chicago last October. The two athletes had been named in Kenya's provisional marathon team for the Paris Olympics later this year. And on that note, we come to the end of today's sports roundup. Until next week at the same time, my name is Kenyan Tagodifri Kampamba. You are tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. In our next program at the same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature Health and Healing. I am Festus Tarawali and do join us then. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.